Hi, it's a joy to be here and introduce this eight-week series called uh, Faith Works you just heard about. So between now and Easter, we will be uh, covering the book of James. And in this venue, in the gym, week after week, we'll be covering James sequentially, segment by segment. And today I'm going to be covering James chapter 1, 1 to 18. And so uh, we believe if you're a follower of Jesus or not, when we open the scriptures, there's something that can be helpful to you in your life. And so my prayer has been all, all week long that you would hear something, not that just sounds good or it's theoretical, but what you would hear would be something that would actually help you tomorrow morning. And so uh, uh, let's just jump right in. Here's the first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to t the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So basically he says, hey, hi, guys. Now, before we actually jump into the rest of this introduction, I think you should know a couple things about the book of James. It was written by James, the oldest brother of Jesus, who at first, for much of his life, doubted Jesus' mission and doubted that Jesus was the Son of God. But then he became a follower of Jesus and a believer in his message. So this is James, who wrote the letter, and um, this is probably the first writing, the earliest writing of any of the writings of our New Testament. This was the earliest one, and he was, James was a leader in the first church, which was formed in Jerusalem. He was the leader of that church. Now, as a leader in that church, and this is important in a couple minutes, they, he and they were facing huge challenges and trials. There was a famine in Jerusalem, and James and all the other parents were having trouble coming up with enough food to feed their kids. There was persecution going on. Uh, there was the threat of martyrdom, which means people were killed for their faith. And in fact, two years after this writing, James was martyred for his faith by the Romans. Um, he was writing this letter to the church and to Jewish refugees who had been like displaced out of Jerusalem. The book of James is filled with uh, succinct, pithy phrases and sentences. And the book is a challenge to doing faith. And I was thinking, if James were up here today, he might say to Orchard Hill Church, hey, church, you know, quit only doing Bible studies. Let's do some Bible doing. Let's see what the Bible says and let's jump into doing it. And so... Uh, Let's jump into uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? What? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In fact, the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, says it this way. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. Because, we're going to get to the because in a minute. So I was reading this and I was thinking, you know, I don't know how to teach 2,000 people. About 2,000 people hear our messages. I don't know how to teach 2,000 people. So one of the things I've learned to do as a teacher is in the, up, in the uh, up, upper left corner, of the papers I work on as I scratch these things out, I usually put three to five names. And they're people I want to keep in mind as I'm preparing the teaching. And because I know how to talk to three or four people at one time, 
I know how to listen to their story and think about them. So I'm not going to tell you the names I wrote, but I'm going to tell you some of the situations uh, so that you know why this is such an important and hard teaching. Uh, the first name is a parent who's raising a special needs son. And this challenge for these parents go on and on and on and on. It requires energy and patience and perseverance beyond anything I've ever been required to give. And um, one of these two parents must always be present with this son. And the medical prognosis for this son is early death coming who knows when. Okay, there's a challenge. And now when James says, hey, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face a challenge. The second name is a friend who buried a husband and is now raising three sons alone. Day after day, this wife misses her husband, misses the life she had planned, misses co-parenting with her husband. It's a challenge and a trial. The third name is a friend of, and one of many, who's helping a parent who most days, this is an older aged parent, who most days when his son goes to visit this parent, the parent doesn't even recognize the son. Yet he goes two or three times a week and he's not recognized. The fourth name is a friend who has a health diagnosis that is very tough. Tough on him, tough on his family, and it's not going to get better in this life. It is only going to get worse. His mental and physical capacity are only going to get worse the rest of this life. One more name. The fifth name is a friend whose workplace is requiring extraordinary amounts of perseverance because people are not responding the way we think coworkers should respond to each other and to the clients that they serve. So it takes extra energy every single day to go to work because people there are not really cooperating like a team should. And I believe that now the rest of the 2,000 folks, those of you sitting in the seats, I believe it would only take you a couple minutes to think about what's the challenge that I'm needing to persevere in these days? What is that challenge? And then I watched these baptisms, and I thought, these parents recognize what a commitment they're making. For the next 18 or 20 years, they're committed to the very best for their kids. They're committed to like loving these kids. They're committed to helping them become a follower of Jesus one day. Wow. And so if I just open my Bible and read that, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know what I want to do with that sentence? I want to like rip it out, tear it up, throw it in the garbage because I'm not even sure it's true and it doesn't sound caring. But then I need to remember who James was. This is why it's so important who James was. Remember James? He didn't write this flippantly because uh, he, you know, was leading a church where kids were going to bed hungry and he was leading a church where some of the church leaders were in prison and maybe never going to get out. And remember this, he had walked with his mother as she watched his oldest brother, Jesus, murdered on a cross. And Mary knew Jesus was innocent. And I bet James was somewhere around the foot of that cross holding his mom as she wept. And I bet James felt her tears on his shoulder. And I bet he wept some tears. So James is not saying this flippantly. So we need to dig into this and see, where's the joy when I face challenges? 
And he's pretty clear, so let's listen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces something inside of you. What does it produce inside of you? Perseverance. And then when perseverance finishes his work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, James writes this, and then he goes on to another topic, and then in a couple verses, he comes back to perseverance. And here's what he says in James 1.12. And I think he says this because of some of the very situations, some of the names I put in my right-hand corner. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's saying, consider it a sheer gift in this world as you face these trials. But then he's saying, some of you don't have a great end game coming. Some of you uh, uh, are gonna uh, learn some things in the perseverance, but you're gonna die pretty soon. And he was probably thinking of some of his church leaders and maybe even himself. And then he says, but there's a new day coming the Lord's promise to those a crown of life, which is like eternal life. I want to go to Romans 5 just real quick, and then we'll net this out for you. Romans 5, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's put this down on a graph. It begins with trials. We got a slide on this. It begins with trials and sufferings. And then what happens inside us? We learn with God's help to persevere. Because most times we have no choice. I got the diagnosis and I have to persevere. I need God's help. I'm going to walk through this time or I'm going to bury a spouse. And I've got no choice. I'm going to face this cancer. I have no choice. And so we reach up to God, we grab onto God, and he helps us persevere through this. And then as we persevere, inside of us, something happens. We grow character. We become a person we never would have been if we hadn't walked through this. And then God does something else in us. He puts a flicker of hope. And then there's a promise. You can have life here, and you can have life beyond here. So whatever your trial or suffering, we walk through it. We stand. We ask God to be with us. Are you thinking about your issue, your challenge? We ask God for help, and we walk through it, and it's a sheer gift. And then as we walk through it, it builds character, and then we find hope. So that's kind of what James is lifting up. Now, Jeff, who's the point person of this series, he said, every week what I would like you to do from James is I would like you to net it out this way. What does James want people to know? What does James want people to do? And what, is, what would be some next steps? So that's where we're going now. So one, what does God want us to know? What does James want us to know? First thing is these trials and temptations are not from God. They're not from God. Let that sink in a minute. They are not from God. We live in a broken world, and this world is not the way God wanted it to be. If you want to know how the God wanted it to be, you look at the Garden of Eden. That's how he wanted it to be. There was no sickness. There was no cancer. There were no hurricanes or tornadoes, right? The Garden, it was a perfect place. But then sin came, 
and broke not only us, what Doug said, we're born in sin with the baptisms, but it broke the world. And so uh, it's not from God. These are not. So uh, James 1.13 actually talks about that. Here's the verse. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And he goes on and he says, giving in to this way of thinking, this temptation, giving in to this is a downward spiral that leads to death. Now, some of us know people, when they faced their challenge, they turned their back on God. That's what James 1.13 is talking about. Don't do that. When you get the diagnosis, when your baby dies, when uh, whatever, you and I all know someone who blamed God and walked away. And um, we also know people who at that moment grabbed onto God in incredible strong ways because they said, that's all I've got. And what James is saying is, don't blame God. Don't get a hard heart. Don't give in to these temptations. This is confusing. How does God operate in your pain and your brokenness? and your grief and your loss. How does he do it? The Bible says he comes and he's with you in it. He's with you in it. The verse uh, Doug wrote, James 1.16, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Number two thing I think James wants you to know, God wants you to know, it's a joy that trials and challenges produce perseverance, maturity, and hope inside of us. The actual word in a lot of the old translations is it makes us perfect. Now, that doesn't mean perfection. That means like, uh, James actually says that seven times in his book. It makes us perfect. It lines us up so that what we say we believe and how we live and how we think, it all lines up. And so what he's saying here is it's a joy to know that as I walk through these trials, now, the trials are not a joy. The diagnosis is not a joy. The death is not a joy. There's nothing joyful about it. That's caused by the broken world. But what happens inside of us can be a joy. We can change and grow as people in spite of the pain. Number three, perseverance in trials and challenges result in a crown of life. So this is what he wants us to know. Like if you persevere in Christ through whatever the challenge is, then one day, all these good gifts that God gave us are redeemed and we live in a new heaven and a new earth. And everything good in your life is redeemed. And like there is no tear, there is no pain, there is no loss, there is no grief in this new place. There isn't. So what does God want us to do? Uh, God wants us to do uh, several things. One, he wants us to grow in our perspective of trials and challenges. He wants us to see them differently. That's what James is getting at here. Now, let me walk you through this a minute. So this cha challenge or trial comes. It might be a divorce you never wanted. It might be... Uh, your child becoming wayward in the faith and you never wanted this. It might be, I mean, there's so many things it could be. And as you know, our families had at least a, a tragedy 
of several family members. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to give yourself time to hurt and grieve. And you have to live there a while. James doesn't say go to the hospital, get the diagnosis, and on the way home, consider it a pure grief to what God's doing in your life. He doesn't say that. What he's wanting to say is give yourself time and grace to hurt and grieve. And then as we've taught several times in the last couple years, don't stop there. Give yourself time and space to lament. Remember what lament is? Lament is like telling God how wrong this feels. Telling God how this wasn't the plan you wanted. Telling God how angry you are that the dreams are being killed. Okay, so you grieve, you experience the pain, you lament, then when the time is right, this is the verse, consider it pure joy, my friends. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it a sheer gift, my friends. Consider it a gift, not again the tragedy when our three family members were killed on the Florida highway. I will never consider that a gift. It would be evil for me to think of that as a gift. But after I've grieved, after I've lamented, at some times I can stop and look inside myself and say, I'm a different man today. I am. Because of what happened. That was evil. That was hard. That's a broken world. But what does God do? Inside of me, he begins to change me. Uh, uh, what else does God want us to do? He wants us to look beyond this life to the next life. So I'm sitting with my dad this week on Friday, Thursday or Friday. He's 90 years old. Uh, we buried my mom last March. And we're just having a conversation. And my dad says, Dave, do you really think your mom is with Ben, Charlie, and Bailey, and Ralph, uh, my wife's father, do you really think they're together in heaven? And I looked at my dad, who's 90, and I said, yeah, dad, I believe it with all my heart. I believe there is this place. I believe uh, there is this connection. I believe things are redeemed. Relationships are redeemed. So we look beyond this life. And then number three, we encourage others who are walking through these trials and struggles. That's exactly what James is doing by writing this letter. It's exactly why he wrote it. He wants to encourage us to see that life is broken and it's hard, but God's going to be at work giving good gifts right in the midst of all of that pain. And so uh, plan A is the Garden of Eden. We live in the broken world, and there is a plan eternal coming where everything is made right. Now, what are some next steps? I want to just uh, tell you two next steps that you might want to uh, think about now. And the first one is this. Find a way yourself or walk with others as they do this to see the gifts and joys beyond the trials and challenges. Okay. So find a way, find a way to lift up within yourself these joys. Now, again, let me say Timing. My baby's in intensive care. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm going to be driving back and forth between the hospital. I'm going to be trying to survive. But then there's a time later 
when you can find a way to look for the gifts. I've done the funeral for three special needs young people. And going into the funerals, my focus was on how hard their families had had to work all these years, and some of them are good friends of mine, have had to work all these years to raise this special needs young person. And you know what the family focus was? It wasn't how hard we had to work. You know where they had come to? What a gift this life was to our family. What a gift this life was. And so they had somehow done the work inside to look past the pain and the disappointment and the loss of a dream. And somehow they had gotten to this place where they said, what a gift, in one case, Melissa was. What a gift Sarah was to our family. You got to find a way to um, see the gifts right in the trials. So my mom died March 24th, and uh, the weeks before she was dying, she was in a in a home here, and uh, I would go. My dad would sit with her almost all day, every day, and then I would go a couple times a day, many days. And so one day I'm sitting beside her, and I think I ought to say something. How to say something? You know, I'm her oldest son. How to say something? So I simply said, Mom, you were a great mom to me. Of course, she's quiet for a minute. I don't know whether she's even awake or hearing it. And then she goes, Dave, you were a great son. Now, what's happening in that moment? Right in the midst of the trial, she knew she was dying. You can look for a gift. And you can name a gift. And so uh, I don't know how you're made to do this. Maybe you need to make a list. Maybe you need to write in a journal what the gifts were, what you're thinking about the gifts. Maybe you need to gather the pictures. Uh, Maybe you need to tell some stories. Maybe you need to have a party. One of the things we've done is we, I've continued to have a birthday party for the three family members who have, we lost. And the reason is this thing, to remind myself of what a gift their life was. Right in the midst of the pain, remember what a gift. Because the challenges don't go away. They stay. Okay, so uh, I learned this in the last couple months in a, in a pretty big way, maybe the last four months. Uh, Kaya, my granddaughter who's here, and I decided to make her mom a book. We have a slide on this. Uh, here's the cover of the book. It's like one of these blurb computer books. And we decided, Kaya and I, that we were going to make her mom a book about the last 29 months since the accident of our family. And it just seemed like a good thing to do and a good gift because we wanted to remind ourselves of all the good gifts that God has given our family since the accident. It's the very point I'm making. And then something happened inside me as I was doing it. You know what happened inside me? As I pulled the pictures together and as uh, mostly Kaya wrote the script, what happened inside me is I actually believed and saw the gifts that he had given our family more clearly. And as that happened inside of me, Kaya and I said, we can't just give this book to your mom. We need to give it to our whole family because they need to realize 
in the midst of the greatest pain and challenge of our lives. We have a God who's good. And he's done stuff inside of us, and he's done stuff in our lives. That's good. So now when James writes, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you uh, need to persevere, when you face trials and challenges, you need to persevere. It's like, okay. So I don't know how you would go about looking for the gifts in the pain, but I know you need to look for the gifts and find a way to lift them up right in the pain. Okay, second thing. Find a way to, this is, we're on what should you do. Find a way to read scripture regularly. Uh, This is what you do in advance of having the problem, having the challenge. Read scripture daily or regularly as best you can. And I know you always expect the church to say this. You always expect whoever's up here to lift up their Bible and say, read this thing, it's good. But uh, let me give you two reasons. And uh, one I've just gotten words for lately. Uh, It came from Alice. Alice stood up and spoke to our couple hundred leaders in the gym here a while back. And she said this phrase, which is from Dallas Willard, which I will never forget. The scriptures are the address where God's voice is most often heard. I'll say it again. The scriptures are the address where God's voice is most often heard. I want to hear from God. I want to hear what he has to say to me, and so do you. And you might not hear it in words, but you hear it in thoughts and promptings. I want to hear from God. And you can hear from God a lot of places. I hear from God in a kayak. I go for a walk in nature or a run. Uh, But the Bible is the address where God's voice is most often heard. So that's why You might want to sign up for our daily scriptures and get this little touch of scripture every morning, which I've been opening since uh, like 2000-something, 210, I think, when we started. And the second thing I want you to know about scriptures, and this is so important, is small things done often are not small things. What do you mean, Dave? Small things done often are not small things. Well, if you opened up the daily scripture, Clint Reedy is a guy who uh, oversees our daily scripture that we send out and you get an email on every day. If you open it up and read those couple verses every day, since it started, 2010, um, you've read 19 books of the Bible. What? Two or three scriptures, verses a day? Over this time, you've read 19 books of the Bible, including most of the Psalms, and you've read Ephesians and Philippians three times, and you've read Matthew, John, Galatians, Colossians, and 1 Peter twice. Wow. So I sent Clint an email this week, and I said, Clint, tell me how much, because I do open this every day, and I miss a couple days, but I leave it on my email, and then eventually I open it and go over it, right? I said, tell me how much we've read, and he told me that. Then he put this um, paragraph at the end of the email, and um, it helped me remember something and make the point. Here's Clint. He's writing me this Friday. He says this, the last thing I want to mention to you, Dave, is probably the greatest treasure I've taken away from my time working on the daily scriptures. You may not even remember this, Dave, and I don't. With as much shock and sadness as you were experiencing at the time, 
but in the middle of the Friday night when you were in Florida, two days after the accident, Friday night, I'm in a hotel room, taking care of arrangements in the aftermath of the tragic loss of Ben, Charlie, and Bailey, you sent me an email. I did not remember this. I do remember reading this daily scripture in the dark, in my hotel bed. Uh, he said, you hadn't been able to sleep that night and you were awake around the time the daily scripture arrived. You'd read the entry and soon after wrote a simple message to me about how much it meant to you and specifically in your unbearable circumstances at that time. And you thanked me and the rest of the Daily Scripture team for being faithful in what we did, nearly always without knowing how it impacted people. Dave, you wouldn't have known this, but I happened to be the writer of that entry. Your note moved me deeply in the moment, just as it still does years later that you would take the time, even on that night, to write about the way it had touched you. Even now, I'm getting a bit of a tear in my eye thinking about it. Okay, now, stay with me. I was one of the worst nights of my life. And it's about 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the dark. And I open my iPad. And there it is. And it's my habit to open it. So I opened it. And I read a couple verses from God's word. And he spoke to me on one of my worst nights. Small things done often are not small things. Find a way to see the gifts that God gives even in your worst days and hold on to scripture, not because you should, because it's there you best hear the voice of God. I'll pray and... Uh, We'll continue with the service. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, James uh, was a real person who had a real life, who led a real church, who really had trouble coming to faith in Jesus. For a long time, he didn't. And Father, I pray for folks here that uh, as you would be with them and help them persevere, that they would realize even in the midst of that, there are gifts, gifts. Father, we love you and we want to uh, sing these songs of praise to you as our response to who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.